made you in his image and he loves you and he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And with that in mind, let's talk to our Heavenly Father right now as we open up the word of God and apply it to our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to serve you and to live for you. Thank you that you're right here with us. And Lord, it's good to know that you are a God that doesn't change. You are constant, you're holy, you're loving. And you call us to live a life like yours, Jesus. And I pray that we would do that. Help us to see the wisdom of being like you. And so, Lord, as we open up the word, may we open up our hearts to you as well, God. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we are back in our series entitled Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. We're right at the end of the series, though. And today I want to talk about this, finding God's will. A man by the name of Nehemiah made a major job change in the Old Testament. He went from being the cupbearer to the most powerful man on earth to being a wall builder and a gate builder in Jerusalem. And it's an amazing story. And I love how he went through the process of making that decision and making that change. And I think it has a lot to teach us about major decisions that we face as husband and wife, as individuals, as young people, as senior citizens, wherever you are in your life, there are times you have to make a major decision. And how do you involve God in that process so you can have a better chance of making wise decisions? We've been doing this series for about a year. We started out with Adam and Eve, and then we talked about Cain and Abel. By the way, all of these real people, Noah, Tower of Babel, we talked about Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, Isaac, his son, Jacob, Isaac's son, Joseph, the guy with the coat of many colors, right? And the amazing forgiveness he demonstrated to his brothers. Moses, who led two people out of slavery. Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who believed God for a victory into the promised land. And the other 10 didn't. And they wandered in the desert for 40 years until finally Joshua conquers the promised land. Rahab was a prostitute who came to faith in the God of Israel and is in the lineage of Christ. Then we talked about two important judges that uh, gave leadership to the nation of Israel when they conquered the land. Those two were Deborah and Gideon. Then we talked about Ruth and then Samuel, this prophet for God. Then the king that had a heart after God, the only one described in the Bible like that. Then we talked about Solomon, the man who was extremely wise but then compromised at the end of his reign, led to a divided nation. And Elijah was a prophet during that time. King Josiah talked about him, this boy prophet who turned the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, right? Judah around. They were worshiping idols. He brought them back to the true God. Sadly, every king after King Josiah did not worship the true God and worshiped idols. So Jeremiah was the prophet called the weeping prophet who saw Jerusalem destroyed in 586 by the Babylonians. And yet would exclaim, great is your faithfulness, God, in the midst of that trial. Then we talked about Daniel, the prophet in exile, who predicted that a Messiah would come, that Jerusalem would be rebuilt. And in 483 years after the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, the Messiah showed up just like Daniel predicted. Another one of those amazing prophecies that point to Jesus as the Savior of the world. Today, I want to talk about Nehemiah. Nehemiah was also a person during the exile who came back to Jerusalem 
and rebuilt the walls. He left his comfort zone. He had a cush job. He was the cupbearer for the most powerful man on earth. He lived in the palace. He knew where his next meal was coming from. But God called him to expand his border, to expand his horizon, to get out of his comfort zone. Have you ever seen this puzzle? This is a puzzle where you have to draw four straight lines and connect all the dots. I'm sure many of you have seen it. And when you first face it, and I remember the time when I did, I tried to solve the problem. I drew four lines, straight lines. You can't lift up your pencil, and you have to connect all of the dots, and I missed the center one. And then, of course, uh, you try again. So this time, draw a diagonal line across, back down, and back over. Oh, I missed that side dot. Getting really frustrated. I, I kind of drew it like this, cheated a little bit, and I did it. <laughs> I solved the puzzle. <laughs> no, actually, to solve the puzzle, you have to think outside the box. You have to think outside the borders, right? So to solve the puzzle, that's exactly what you have to do to connect all the dots together in four straight lines. What I want you to do today is think outside the box. Does God have something greater for your life? Does God have something greater for your marriage than what you're experiencing today? Is God calling you to experience the abundant life that he's promised? And not just to think about yourself, right? That's exactly what Jesus modeled for us, not to think about himself. He left heaven, came to earth, died on the cross for you and for me, paid the price for your sins. And if you have faith in him, if you believe that he died on the cross in your place, the Bible says at that moment your sins are nailed to the cross with Christ you're forgiven. You're adopted into the family of God. It's the best news the world has ever heard. And we get the privilege of sharing it with others. The bottom line of our talk today about Nehemiah, a man who followed God, is this. Nehemiah becomes one of Israel's great leaders and impacts the lives of thousands. As he is sensitive to God's calling on his life and the task that God has him. He didn't stay in his comfort zone, didn't stay being the cupbearer of the most powerful man on earth, but left that and made a difference for thousands of people in Jerusalem. If you uh, date Nehemiah's life, if you look at the first Babylonian invasion of Israel, that happened in 606 BC, to the first return when people started to come back, that was a 70-year period. Remember I told you after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, they marched thousands of Jews to Babylon as slaves. But then when Persia defeated Babylon, the king of Persia began to allow the Jews to return to their home country. A guy by the name of Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple in Jerusalem. The rubble of the temple was there. And a guy by the name of Zerubbabel came back to Jerusalem and rebuilds the temple. I love the name Zerubbabel. It makes the name Melvin sound fantastic. <laughs> Zerubbabel rebuilds the rubbabababal of the temple. He does this amazing rebuilding job, rebuilds the, the temple. And then Ezra comes, and there's a revival of the people in Jerusalem. They turn back to God. But Nehemiah shows up, great study of leadership, motivates these people who are feeling defeated. Because back then, a city was only as secure as its walls. If you didn't have walls, you were open to attack at any moment. Nehemiah comes back and rebuilds the walls in 52 days. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1 and read this amazing story of a guy who said, I'm leaving this job and taking another one if God 
wills it, if God opens up the door, and God did. Let me, there's a lot of reading initially, so let's follow along in our Bibles. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 says this, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, that's the month of November in our calendar. In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the capital of Persia, and I'll show you that in a map, on a map in a second, that Han and I, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. So a group of people came back from Jerusalem to Persia. And Nehemiah sees them, and he asks them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to Nehemiah, the remnant there in the province who survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, Nehemiah wrote, I sat down and said, well, I have it good. I'm just going to stay right here in my comfort zone. Is that what he said? No, not at all. He does this. He wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, here's his prayer. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you. Here's his prayer life. Before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Now, I love Nehemiah's humility. He didn't say that they sinned against you because he was not involved in the sins that led to the destruction of Jerusalem. That was before his time. But he includes himself in that group, a humble man, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word, God, that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your dispersed people be under the farthest skies, God promises, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, God, whom you've redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah sets you up in chapter one for something that he's planning to do and he's praying to God that God would open up a door for him to stand in front of this king, the most powerful man on earth, and say, hey, I want to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. That's why he's saying at the very end, give success to your servant today. See, on the map, that's the kingdom of Persia, that brown area. And that red dot with the arrow above it, that is the capital of Susa where Nehemiah was. His plan was to go back to Israel, back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls to make a difference in the lives of thousands. Now, when we think about following God's will, there are three categories that we need to understand. Category number one is this, God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will is all about this, God's comprehensive plan for this planet in which he determines or permits everything that happens in the universe. What we need to understand today is God is in control. Now, the reality is this, he gives us freedom. And as sinful beings, we rebel against God, but he still gives us freedom. 
because he desires people to come to him and worship him because they want to on their own. He never forces himself on anyone. That's why there's so much suffering in the world today because we've rebelled against God and his plan. But God is still working in this planet, bringing it to the point that he desires and nothing will stop that plan of his, his sovereign will. Here's the second category, God's moral will. 95% of the decisions we made, make every day, the answers to those decisions can be found in God's word. Uh, should I rob this bank today? Uh, no, the word of God says I shouldn't rob banks. Uh, should I lie about uh, my friend today? No, the word of God says I shouldn't lie about people. Should I gossip about this person? No, the word of God says don't gossip. 95% uh, of the decisions we make every day, the answers are right here in God's word, God's moral will. It's right here, clear in God's word. Here's the third category. This is what Nehemiah was struggling with. Should I leave Persia and go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls? It was God's individual will for him. And he was praying, God, open up a door. I believe I should go back and make a difference. He was placed in the presence of the most powerful man on earth for a reason, and he sensed it. No one had more access to the king of Persia than Nehemiah. And Nehemiah would need the permission of King Artaxerxes, an historical figure, that needed to allow him to go back and rebuild those walls and to give him permission and resources to do it. And Nehemiah was placed in that strategic spot for this reason. See, God's purposes apply to all of us individually. God has a plan for your life. God has given you gifts and abilities that he longs to use to make a difference for him. Don't get caught up in the trivial things of this world. Always remember, God has called you to a higher purpose to serve him and make a difference for all of eternity. Because here's the reality. Nothing you do in your life will last forever outside of what you do for God. See, that's what gives your life meaning and purpose. What gives our life meaning is realizing we're connected with a God who is eternal. No beginning, no end. Who was and is and is to come. And he has a plan for your life and knows you individually. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the days you will live before you live them. That's exactly what David said in Psalm 139. Here's the verse. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God, before I ever lived, you knew every day I would live. He knew your name. The Bible says he chose you before the foundation of the world. That's how intimately God has been involved in the creation of you, stamped in the image of God. And really, that's what a church is all about. It's people imperfect like me, Sinners saved by God's grace who can come together, every one of us, with different abilities and gifts and make a difference for eternity to serve one another and in so doing serve Jesus Christ and see people grow up in their faith and face the challenges that this life brings in a way that helps us to walk through these challenges and come out on the other end stronger and better people. If I were to put these uh, categories in like a Venn diagram, it would kind of look like this. God's sovereign will is that big circle. He's controlling everything. Within that is God's moral will where he tells us how to live. And yet there are people outside of that that are living in contradiction to the word of God. But within God's moral will, he calls us to live individual lives using our gifts and abilities 
uniquely for him. It's a wonderful way to live. It's what Jesus meant when he said, I came that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. We say that often here at Riverview. God wants you to have an abundant life in everything you do. I like what one Christian author wrote. His name's F.W. Borum, said this. We make our decisions, and then they make us, right? We make our decisions, and then they make us. They determine the course of our lives. They determine what happens in our lives. So it's important that we make wise decisions. It's important that we do this, that we make wise decisions according to the principles of God's word. Hey, God, how do we live our lives in such a way that we can make good decisions as we walk through life? See, the reality is too often we make unwise decisions and often we blame God for the negative things that happen. Hey, God, you're failing me. How could you allow that to happen to me when I was thrown in jail for robbing that bank? How could you let that happen? See, we, we do that so often. We blame God for often the bad decisions that we make. And here's a valuable lesson that we can learn, the cost of making the wrong decision. Think about this. How much time is wasted in our lives undoing the bad decisions we've made in the past, undoing the decisions that ought not to have been made to begin with. We waste so much time in our marriages undoing bad decisions in our relationships at the workplace undoing bad decisions that we have made that's why it's so important when we face big decisions in our lives that we face them in a godly way and here's some decisions that we face nehemiah was struggling with this do i take this job as a wall builder in jerusalem or stay here as a cupbearer in the capital of persia take this job or not Here's another. Should I live in this town or not? Should I pursue this career or not? Should I have this surgery or not? Should I marry this person or not? Should I buy or sell this house? Should I attend this school or not? Should I even, question like this, adopt a child? Someone asked me to pray for them about adopting a child. Big decision. God, how do I make the right decision? Well, here's the first thing I want to challenge you with that I see in the life of Nehemiah. Finding God's will, here's what we need to do. Make sure you're in a connected relationship with God now. When you read chapter 1 and you read Nehemiah's response to the problems people were having in Jerusalem, you've got to think, wow, Nehemiah was connected with God. He fasts and he prays day after day. He goes through a prayer that kind of reminds himself of the history of the nation of Israel and how God brought them out of slavery. He knew the word of God. He knew the principles of God's word and who God was. He was connected to God. And I want to ask you today, as you face various decisions in your life, do you have a relationship with God, a connected relationship with God? See, we say here it's not about religion, it's about relationship. It's not about jumping through all these hoops to try to be good enough to get to heaven. The Bible talks against that. What it does speak to, though, is the need for us to have a relationship with Christ. Like Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. This desire to have a relationship with us all. 
come into our lives and be a part of our lives. I want to ask you, are you connected with God? I think that is the foundation of making wise decisions. Let me explain a little bit, and I'm sure most of you might know this, about what happens when you come to faith in Christ. See, when you come to faith in Christ, you believe that God sent his son to die on the cross for you. And at that moment, the Bible says, you're forgiven. At that moment, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, believing that he didn't die a poor, misunderstood martyr, but he died in control, in power, doing exactly what he came to do, to be the Lamb of God who had laid down his life for your sins and mine. The moment you believe that, your sins are nailed to the cross, and the Bible says you are justified. It's called justification. You are made as if you never sinned. I call it legal forgiveness. In fact, the word justification is a legal term. It means your debt has been paid in full. You don't owe anything. You're debt-free. Man, I long for the day when I'm debt-free with my house, amen? When I get to pay off my mortgage debt-free. I long for that day. But with God, the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, you're debt-free. Your sins are paid for. All your past, present, and future sins are gone. People have said to me, well, Mel, what if I, like, commit a sin, and then I jump in my car, and I'm racing down the highway, I get in an accident, and I die. Well, I still go to heaven as a believer in Christ. I said, absolutely. Why? Because of justification. All your past present and future sins when you come to faith in Christ are paid for. Even the ones you don't remember, even the ones you never confess, because all your sins are paid for. It's called legal forgiveness. Before God, you're debt free. It's an amazing truth from God's word. All paid for at the cross. And you're adopted into the family of God. The illustration I use for this is if, for example, my son came up to me one day and said all these terrible things to me and called me all these names and was yelling and screaming disrespectfully at me. He's still my son. He's still in my family. But there's, there's a wall between me and him. There's this tension that exists between us. There's a sin that's there that's damaged our relationship. That's exactly what the Bible talks about. If we're not connected with God, if we're living in rebellion against him, Psalm 66 says this, if I regard, the word regard is a word for like protect. If I uh, coddle this sin in my life and protect it in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Wow, it's a sobering thought. If this sin is more important to me than my relationship with God, it causes a barrier between me and God. Isaiah said the same thing. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Then your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Wow. So if today you're feeling far from God, I want to ask, maybe there is a sin in your life that you're protecting. You're still living in this sin, and you know the Holy Spirit is convicting you of it. He wants you to change, but you refuse. As a result of that, the Bible would say there is this relational sin barrier between me and my father, just like between my son and me. There's this tension that exists. He's still my son. He's still part of the family. And I say that because people come to me and said, well, if I sin, that means I've lost my salvation and I'm not saved anymore. So I, then I confess and then I'm saved again. Then I sin and I lose my salvation and then I confess and I gain it again. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says once you are truly in a relationship with God, you, 
can be secure in that relationship for all of eternity. And for the people that sang the songs and said all the right words but rejected God and walked away from a relationship with him, the Bible makes it really clear. They never were truly transformed inside of them. They were never truly saved. But for those who truly come to faith in Christ, God will continue to work in your life to bring you into a right relationship with him. And our communication with God because of that sin in our life, it's broken. But once that sin is confessed, once we agree with God that this needs to be dealt with, for example, if my son came back to me and said, Dad, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. Man, our relationship is wide open again. It's better. There's communication again. And that's what our walk with God is like, that we would have this sensitivity to identify those things in our lives that don't represent Jesus. Man, this is not what Jesus would want in my life. And the moment that's dealt with, there's this open communication between me, his son, and my heavenly father. That's what we desire. And for making wise decisions, I want to encourage all of you to stay deeply and intimately connected with God. You'll have those moments when you're struggling and you're maybe in a state of rebellion even, but God will continue to work in your life to bring you back into a right relationship with him. So that's why I want to add this to the major point. It's this, to make major decisions come easily. You have to do this. One, I abide in Christ daily seeking his strength. This ongoing relationship with Christ. Moment by moment, day by day. Jesus put it this way in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Yesterday I was cutting off branches in my backyard, trimming some of the trees in my backyard. What happened as soon as I cut that branch from the tree, the branch started to what? Die, exactly. Soon as that branch was disconnected from the tree, it starts to die. And Jesus identified the importance of all of us, saying, you know what, I want to live in connection with Jesus Christ, moment by moment. You know, that, that's why church exists, right? To help us encourage one another to do that. Going to church doesn't get you to heaven. You're not here because I've got to check it off this month or I'm not going to heaven. I've got to put it on my good works side so my good works outweighs my bad works and I get into heaven by my good deeds. The Bible speaks against that. You come to church because you want to fellowship with other believers as you worship God together with them. And I can't tell you how much I'm encouraged even sitting here up front and hearing you all sing praises to God and lifting him up and encouraged by people in this church who said, hey, Mel, we're going to pray for you about this or that. Or, or Mel, we're going to help you in this ministry over here. And, and I could say, hey, I'll help you over here as we make an impact for Jesus Christ that lasts for eternity. Again, that gives our lives meaning and purpose. And we do that all because of the word of God. I love what David said in Psalm 119. He said this, your testimonies, meaning the word of God, are my delight. They are my counselors. How do I make wise decisions? Through the wisdom of your word, God. They are my delight. I delight in the word of God. When was the last time you read the word of God for the sheer enjoyment of it? You just couldn't wait to read the word of God because you wanted his wisdom to be applied into your life. They're your counselors. Then later in that same chapter, he writes this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. As we walk down the path of life, I can tell you there's no greater tool that's available to you than the word of God and what it says. It is so amazing. 
And I wish I had learned it even more strongly as a younger Christian. The more I've walked through life, the more I've been amazed at the truth and wisdom of God's word that in the cloud, in the storm, that we keep our eyes on the instrument panel of God's word. Not not to look at circumstances around us, but to keep our eyes on the word of God. So beyond abiding in Christ daily, this is what we need to do. Begin each day in humble surrender to God. Hey God, this day is yours. It's your day, God. I want to live it according to your plan. Here's the goal. Not not to necessarily say these words, but have this attitude. The attitude is this. Lord, today, I want to live in total submission to you and your word without harboring any known sin in my life. I want to live according to your word. I want to do my marriage according to the amazing principles of your words. We talked about last week, right? Agape love. We sang about the foundation of God's love, this unconditional love that's the foundation of marriage, a phileo love, friendship love, which brings a husband and wife together, culminating in eros, this sexual love that's all part of God's plan for marriage. It's a perfect plan. It's just that we're not living it. We're not following God's plan. Today, God, I want to live in perfect submission to your word and get rid of any sin in my life that doesn't represent you. Here's the next thing. I grow in my love for Christ through life's challenges. I want to tell you, and I mean this with all my heart, as you go through life and you apply God's word, you'll come out of the storm looking back and saying, wow, I'm so glad I lived according to God's word. I'm so glad I didn't listen to the advice of this world, but listen to God, the one who created you and made you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's a well-known verse. You've probably heard it before. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart, Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. He will make straight your paths. When that phrase, make straight, in the Hebrew, it means like this. It's more than just guidance. It means God removes the obstacles. He makes a smooth path along your way bringing one to the appointed goal, bringing one to the destination that God desires for each of us. God has great plans for you. God has great plans for your marriage. But we need to delight in his word. 1 Peter 2.2 says this, like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk. You know, I had six kids, right? All of those little babies long for their mother's milk. And they long for that. They, they, They wanted it. That's how we should be in our lives, walking with God, that we long for the milk of God's word, how it can nourish us and strengthen us. Here's the next thing I love about Nehemiah. Besides the fact that he he was just bringing this to God and, and making this a God issue, he does this. He brings the Lord into the decision-making process early. Right away. He doesn't spend any time uh, trying to do anything before he brings it to God. He brings it to God early. I want to ask you, when you have a problem in your life, do you bring it to God early? When you face a problem in your marriage, do you sit down with your spouse and say, let's pray about this problem, this challenge, this major decision that we're facing? Should I move here or not? Should we take this job or not? Should we do this surgery or not? Whatever the decision is, that husbands and wives and families and individuals bring it to God early in the process. The tendency is for us to jump in, do it according to our wisdom, our way, our plan. We mess it up even worse. And then we bring this mess back to God and say, God, I messed it up. Can you straighten this out, please? Bring it to God early. 
when my kids are sick, I know my wife does the same thing. I have tried over the years to not say, if my kid says, Dad, I'm not feeling well, oh, I'll run to the medicine cabinet and get you something. My first thought is, and I want to model this for my kids, and I want to be faithful as a dad in doing this. Say to my kid, let's pray about it. Let's pray right now and ask God to heal you. Pray right now and ask God to make you better. Bring it to God first. And then, of course, run to the medicine cabinet and do what I can. But to bring it to God first, to invite him in, he longs for that. With my kids, uh, it's discouraging if they come to me and say, hey, Dad, I made this decision, and it's all messed up now. Can you fix it? I wish they would have come to me early and say, hey, Dad, I'm facing this major decision. Can we talk about it? I'd like to have your insight on what I should do. It's exactly how God is with us. What's amazing is he longs for us to come into his presence and bring these matters to him. I had one guy back in Illinois that came to Christ in our neighborhood Bible study. And he said to me, Mel, I just feel guilty bringing my problems to God because he's got famines over here and world wars over there. And he's got all these major problems he's dealing with. I don't want to bother him with my, like, flu. And I said, Barry, that would be an issue if God was a finite God. But our God is not a finite God. He is an infinite God. He can handle every problem you bring to him with no question at all. He can do it. He's an awesome God. So the ways to bring God in is this. Ask God for his wisdom each and every day. James says that. says this. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives what? Generously. He's not a stingy God. He gives generously wisdom to you. God's given you this amazing mind. And if you ask for wisdom, he'll sharpen it and help you to make wise decisions throughout your life. He'll give you wisdom generously to all without approach. It will be given to him. So ask the God for wisdom. Here's the next thing. Pray specifically. Pray specifically. God, I'm facing this struggle at work. I pray that this would happen and that this situation would be resolved and that you would bring it to this conclusion. See, we can often pray the desires of our heart. The Bible encourages us to do that. If it doesn't match God's will, God will work in such a way to bring it into his will. But to pray specifically, Philippians 4.8 says that, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Here's another thing Nehemiah does as he's praying. He fasts, something we don't often talk about here. But fasting is simply giving up something in order to focus on your connectedness with God. Maybe giving up a meal or two. I've had moments of fasting in my life, throughout my life, and it's not something you go around telling people, right? In fact, the Bible says this in Matthew uh, Matthew 6. Jesus said, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. What does he mean by that? In modern-day language, it would be this. Take a shower, get dressed, and put on fresh clothes. Don't go out and, and not shower. Your hair's all messed up. You're wearing dirty clothes. And people say, hey, what's wrong? And you say, man, I'm fasting today. That's not what you do. What you do is exactly what Jesus said. Hey, anoint your face. Anoint your head. Wash your face. And that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in, in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. You know, it's prayer and fasting that was used in the early church. Select the leaders of the early church. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. So if you're facing a major decision, take some time and pray and fast. 
Let the hunger pangs that you feel in your stomach remind you, that's right, this is a time when I'm really seeking God, asking Him to intervene in my life and give me direction. Then lastly this, trust expectantly that God's going to answer, that God's going to open and close doors in your life, that God will lead you and give you an indication as to what you should do. Then lastly, as we close, I want to share this. What Nehemiah does is he researches the facts. That's the third thing. Research the facts related to your decision. Going back to the mind God gave you and allowing God to give you information that can help you make a decision, that you allow the truths of God's word to change you from the inside out. Uh, By the way, that's the way we should all change, right? Did I share the story about the father with the son? Did I share that in this service? There was a father with a son, and they were sitting down for dinner, and the, the, the little boy stood up in his chair. And the dad said, hey, son, sit down. And the son goes, no. The dad said, sit down. The son said, no. So the dad got up out of his chair, walked around the table, pushed the son down in the chair, and said, son, sit down. The dad triumphantly went back to his chair until the son said, dad, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. You know, what we want to be is people that follow God, that long to have God change us from the inside out. Nobody likes to be changed from the outside in. But the more we understand who Jesus is, the more we want to be like him. The more he changes us from the inside out. The more we realize that getting into the word of God and researching the facts about our decisions that we make Asking people in the church who may have a background in the area that you're wondering about. If you're thinking about buying or selling a house, to maybe ask a godly realtor in the church, hey, what should I do? What's your opinion about the market right now? To research the facts related to your decision. Proverbs 18 says this, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. See what Nehemiah did? Look what he says. He gets in front of the king, chapter 2. Turn your Bibles to chapter 2. It says this. He stood before the king, and the king saw that Nehemiah was sad. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. This is verse 4. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting by his side, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So please the king to send me when I'd given him a time. And I said to the king, listen to the planning Nehemiah had already done. If it pleases the king, let letters beyond uh, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river. There, he was in essence asking for passports to let me pass through until I come to Judah. And let a letter be written to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams of the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God was upon me. When you read that response by Nehemiah, you realize Nehemiah had planned this out. And I believe with all my heart, God honors hard work and planning. As you pray for wisdom, do your part. Weigh the pros and cons of every decision. Ask for wisdom from people around you who love the Lord. Involve others in those major decisions who can pray along with you. And I believe God will lead you clearly, just like he did Nehemiah. Amen, church? Amen. Hey, let's bow our hearts in prayer this morning.
And as your hearts are bowed today, my desire would be that everyone here would leave this place saying, I need to involve God more in my life. I've pushed them out. I need to follow his wisdom in my personal life. I need to follow his wisdom in my marriage as a mom or a dad, in my relationships with people at work, in the way I live, that we would invite God in to the process early and see God work in our lives. He will. He knows you. He created you. He knew you before the foundation of the world. And he longs to have that kind of intimate relationship with you. And he's right here, right now. Lord, we love you. We're here for you, Jesus. This is all for you. And I pray, God, as we take your word and apply it to our lives, help us to have a humble heart. Help us to see you at work behind the scenes and to walk every step of our lives by faith, God love you today. We love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for us and setting us free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll stand together and sing this song. Bye. Uh...